welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 297. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to 2022. This is our first episode of the new year. We are going into our, geez, sixth year of podcasting. This show debuted in January of 2015. So yeah, six years. Hey, future Bill here. Numbers are hard, people. What I should have said, for those of you keeping track, is I started podcasting in January 2016, which means January 2022 marks the end of completing six years of podcasting and going into my seventh year, which to me sounds like an even huger number. It's a little frightening, people. Here's to lucky number seven sucking. We'll see how it goes. All right, back to that other stuff I said. You would think by now I would have actually learned how to do this, but no. I am steadily puttering down the river of podcasting with nary an oar or something. Uh... But we get through, right? We get uh, we, we get from one shore to the next uh, without drowning. So uh, I guess we're doing okay. I uh, hope you guys had a happy holiday season because of recording things out of order and holidays and things. This is my first time recording since uh, all that holiday jazz. So uh, I hope you and yours had a, a lovely time. I hope that uh, 2022 brings you goodness and light and dark, if you prefer dark, you know, whatever. And that all is well, and that you keep listening to the podcast and tell, you know, three or four hundred of your friends to do the same. And maybe buy a book or two. All right. Well, to kick things off uh, for the new year, we have a voicemail. If you remember, uh, the podcast has a hotline, if you like, a yeah, phone number, which you can call and leave a message, typically about a show or one of my stories. But really, honestly, if you say anything at all, in the voicemail, I'm probably going to play it on the podcast. 563-265-1978 is the number to call. I'm never, ever, ever going to answer the phone, but you're free to leave a message. And I, like I said, I will play it on the show. I'll mention that number again at the end of the episode. The message I got right before Christmas was from my buddy Dave Champa. Dave is one of the hosts of the podcast Champa and Klein, the Airwolf Years. I've mentioned the show on this podcast before. I've been a guest on their show um, a few times now, I think. And uh, it's always a delight. Uh, Dave and Greg are, are wonderful people, very irreverent, um, very uh, very friendly as they discuss the uh, 1980s adventure series Airwolf and many other things, uh, including frequently bodily functions. So if that's your thing, um, go check out Champagne Klein, the Airwolf years, and, uh, and you won't be disappointed. But Dave had thoughts about the movie Krull, if you remember, uh, there were two episodes of this show that came out in December. The first one, we talked about the Atari game Krull, which was based on the movie Krull, which we talked about in the second episode of December with uh, writer Patrick McCarthy joining me to uh, dissect that movie. Dave also, around the same time that uh, Patrick and I were talking about the movie, uh, around the same time that episode came out, Dave also watched the movie and he had thoughts. So he sent me a message. And if I can find it here, this is me sort of vamping as I look for this message. One moment. 
<laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, Bill. This is uh, Dave Champa calling from the Airwolf Years. Now, listen, I'm calling from inside Airwolf in the Valley of the Gods, and I've only got about a minute before Hawk and Dom find me and shut me down because I promised that I would stop calling podcasts through the secret frequencies in Airwolf. So, here we go. Anyway, I am calling to talk briefly about the 1983 classic Krull, which I have just watched for the first time. Now, as Greg and I have been doing for the last few years on our podcast, you know, watching 80s television through the lens of 2021, you know, watching Krull through that same lens of, of 2021 may have improved my viewing of the movie like tenfold because this movie was fantastic. I loved it. You know, the special effects were great. The practical effects were so well done. You know, the story was decent enough. It's your basic sword and sorcery, you know, fantasy epic. But uh, again, pretty well done. Loved the cinematography. A lot of the wide exterior shots were beautiful to look at. Really loved James Horner's score as well. That was super well done. You know, it was just a, overall a pretty well-rounded movie, and it's a really it's a shame that it was buried under the popularity of Star Wars. I think Return of the Jedi came out the same year uh, as this, so it was just kind of a shame that it didn't really get that traction because it's a decent enough movie, and it's worth it's definitely worth a watch. And I would absolutely watch this again. You know, I, I watched this uh, on Christmas Eve, and so maybe this will just have to become perhaps my Christmas Eve tradition, much like I watch Christmas Vacation every year. Maybe I'll watch Crow every Christmas Eve morning with my cinnamon roll. Who knows? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next year if I decide maybe I want to watch it sooner than that. A anyway, Bill, keep up the great work on the show. Uh, really appreciate everything you're doing with it. Ah, oh, damn it. You know what? Hawk and Dom see me. I got to go. Keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, Dave. I say as if he was talking to me right now and not like weeks ago. Yeah. I, I think uh, if I remember from my conversation with Patrick on the podcast, we kind of came out, kind of landed where you were, that uh, the movie definitely has some problems. Um, the story is kind of weak, but for 1983, special effects look pretty good for the most part. There's some rough spots, special effects-wise. The fire horses do not uh, come off quite as cool as perhaps they could. I, I in particular, really liked the fortress uh, that the beast lives in. I thought it was very interesting looking. And, you know, I think I said in the podcast, I'd really like it if someone would do a graphic novel that, it, you know, just spends its whole time in that fortress because there were some really interesting things visually going on there. And yeah, I, I agree that uh, they probably really thought they had, I have nothing to back this up, but I'm guessing they really thought that they had a new franchise uh, on their hands. But Troll, I'm sure, uh, got stomped on by Return of the Jedi. Uh, it did not do well in the box office, and it's a shame uh, that we didn't see any more of uh, Planet Krull and the Glaive and all of that. So I'm glad you liked the movie, Dave. I appreciate the kind words about the podcast. Uh, like I said before, it's always great to hear from you. I look forward to visiting uh, Airwolf Years again uh, at some point, and uh, you know, feel free to call anytime about anything. If nothing else, call back and, and tell us your cinnamon roll recipe, because uh, that sounds kind of good. All right, uh, well, guys, see how easy that is? I haven't been getting a lot of voicemails lately, but Dave did it. You guys can do it, too, so please do. On the continuing subject of the Krull movie, actually not the movie, the game, I heard from Jim Goble, he of one half of Pie Factory, and here's his comment. 
Listening to your Krull movie review, and one thing I didn't hear was any mention of a hexagon. Was there one in the film? I asked because it features prominently in two stages of the arcade game. My response to him is that I don't recall a hexagon, or anything shaped like a hexagon, really factoring into the uh, game, or the the Atari game, or the movie. I mean, the glaive, the uh, spoiler, the secret weapon that Colwyn uses to save the day is a five-pointed star. Hexagon, I think, has six points, or six sides. So I told him I didn't really recall a hexagon really playing into the movie, but I did observe that I haven't played the arcade game. And uh, Jim elaborated that the uh, third sequence of the arcade game, uh, in that sequence, Colwyn has to pick up his party members, and then a small hexagon floats around the screen. Colwyn then has to touch the hexagon to lead his party members to it. In the fourth sequence, there's a giant hexagon on the screen, and Colin has to break down the front wall of it when it's black. When the wall is broken down, his party members emerge from it. So it sounds like sometimes in the game, uh, the hexagon is just a, a flashing indicator saying, go this direction. And then at one point, it's either the, the fortress itself, this is me talking, by the way, or the dome thing within the fortress that Lissa is trapped in. Jim went on to say, so far the only sequence in their arcade game that sounds like it was in the movie uh, is the mountain with the boulders. Uh, That's true. They do spend a fair amount of time in the movie, in the mountains. Jim says the arcade game was a fun Robotron clone, which isn't such a bad thing. Uh, I don't think Jim, uh, Robotron, as you know, as most of us know, is pretty cool. He did send me a link to the arcade gameplay video. And yeah, what I'm looking at on the screen here is indeed a hexagon. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Hmm. Go look uh, on YouTube for Arcade Longplay Crawl and uh, check this out. It's kind of cool. Thanks for that, Jim. Uh, Like I said, I don't have any experience with the arcade game for this. So uh, I'm intrigued to hear that. I may have to look for for that somewhere uh, to play it for comparison's sake. So thanks a lot. All right. Well, that was fun. Let's get on though to this week's game. This week's game is... Last year, this Atari. Now the kid wants a computer. (laughs) Better idea, the supercharger from Starpath. Don't cost much. Plug it in the Atari and play supercharger computer games that cost under 15 bucks each. And the supercharger comes with this phaser patrol game. (laughs) Rocket stuff. And the kid can fight those commie mutants from space. Because they're out there. Give your kid a... Available at fine stores everywhere. Communist Mutants from Space. This game was put out by Starpath, formerly known as Arcadia. 1982, it was programmed by Stephen H. Landrum. It is a very provocative-looking cover. Uh, bright red with a, with a black square. Lots of, uh, you know, we've got the uh, communist with the hammer and sickle. For the sea, and then mutants, sort of dripping green goo from space. Sort of space-agey looking text there. And then we got one, two, three, four, five. Five of the aforementioned mutants. One of them holding what appears to be a, a an old-timey cartoon time bomb fuse with a lit fuse. And it's, again, it's got the hammer and sickle on it. Uh, another one of them is th- holding a Molotov cocktail. Uh, there's no subtlety here in, in their uh, calling out uh, communism. Uh, in particular, Russians, and there's more of that as we'll see. 
The most interesting thing about the game from a technical standpoint, which I am not particularly qualified to talk about because I don't have any experience with this, but I do have the internet. So the most interesting thing is that this game began its life not as a cartridge in a traditional sense. It began as a game for the Arcadia Supercharger. So here's how it worked. You plug in your VCS and... Actually, I'm looking at the instructions now. Set up your Atari video computer system, parentheses, or just about any game system that takes video computing system game cartridges, close parentheses. Plug it in. Where the cartridge would go, you insert the Arcadia Supercharger with label up. Don't force it or insert it crookedly, which is good advice, guys. Connect the plug on the end of the Supercharger cable to the earphone jack of any cassette recorder player. The earphone jack may also be labeled monitor, mon, ear, or output. Turn the power switch on the game system on. The TV screen should read rewind, tape, press play. If not, turn the power off. Check to make sure the system is properly hooked up and the supercharger fully inserted. Insert the Communist Mutants from Space cassette, label side up, into the cassette player. Turn the volume and tone controls halfway up. Press rewind. Wait till the tape stops moving. Press play. In a few moments, you hear the sounds of the game loading and see colored panels fill the screen. A moment later, stop, tape will appear. You'll be ready to play Communist Mutants from Space. And then it has some uh, helpful hints if you get if you have technical troubles. I had never heard of this supercharger thing until this game. Uh, I played uh, an emulation, of course. I don't have this supercharger thing. If any of you guys have one, or if you have experience with one, let me know. Because I'm kind of curious about this. What What is the... Well, actually, I kind of know, have an idea what the benefit was. Because I did do some reading. I do a minimum amount of research for this show, and I, I gather it has something to do with, basically, for the time, being able to put more stuff into the game. So, once you've done all of that, then you get on to the actual game itself. Your mission, vaporize the mutant warriors before they overrun your home planet. The evil ruler of the planet, Ruski, R-O-O-S-K-E-E, gee, I wonder what that refers to, has launched a diabolical attack. A cunning mother creature, filled with irradiated vodka, transforms hopeless slaves captured on peaceful planets into bloodthirsty communist mutants. The commie mutants attack like crazy. Wipe out wave after wave of them, and they keep on coming. And the more you vaporize, the nastier they get. You've got trouble. So, there are some different options, uh, game specifications that you can choose from. When you uh, hit select, a menu pops up. You can set different features. Number of players, of course, anywhere from 1 to 4. There are 9 difficulty levels, 1 being the easiest, 9 being the hardest. You can set it so that you have shields or not, so that you can activate a time warp or not, uh, penetrating fire or not, and guided fire or not. As soon as play begins, you'll be under attack. The mother creature will constantly try to create more communist mutant attackers. The attackers start as mutant eggs and soon hatch into nasty creatures. Some of the mutant eggs appear not to hatch. Don't be fooled, they are actually shield-penetrating bombs in disguise. You begin with a small reserve of anti-mutant cannons. Each time the mutants destroy one of your cannons, a reserve is called up. When the last cannon is destroyed, the game is over. You can get bonus cannons after every wave, every other wave of mutant attacks. You never run out of ammunition, so just keep shooting. Your cannons destroy communist mutants, mutant bombs, and the mother creature itself. Point values range anywhere from 10 points for an egg to 100 points for clearing the screen of mutant attackers. You also get a flag. Bonus cannons, as I said, are awarded on each odd-numbered wave of attacks. High score for the current playing session will be displayed at the end of each game. 
control the speed of your anti-mutant cannon with the difficulty switches. A makes it slow, B makes it fast. As I'm reading this, I realize I don't know what I had mine set on, to be honest. Shields are activated by pulling back on the joystick. You can use your shields only once until a new wave of mutant attacks or a cannon appears. Slow down the mutant attacks with time warp. Activate it by pushing forward on the joystick, but you can use this feature only once until a new wave of attacks or a cannon appears. The penetrating fire feature permits your cannon fire to blast through one mutant and wipe out the next in line. The guided fire feature permits you to steer your cannon fire with the joystick. Players 1 and 3 share the left joystick, players 2 and 4 share the right. The number in the lower left corner of the screen indicates which player is up. I played by myself because I am a podcaster and I have no friends. Hmm. If you actually had all of the original technology, you could get a sneak preview of other great Arcadia games by, when you load the uh, Communist Mutants from space, you push the stop button on the accept player as soon as the TV screen fills with colored panels and the stop tape message appears. Don't rewind the tape, and when you're ready for a preview, flick the power switch on the game system off, then on again, and the TV screen should read, rewind tape, press play. Don't rewind the tape. Simply press play. As soon as the stop tape message appears, press stop. You'll see a self-play preview of one exciting Arcadia game. You can't actually play it, so don't bother pressing any more switches, but you can appreciate the great graphics and game action. To see the next game preview, repeat the above instructions. When no more games appear, you have seen all the previews. Alrighty. Again, if anyone did that uh, and knows what those previews were, let me know. And then they have some pictures of all this technology. The supercharger, and then a cassette player, and all of this and that. And again, I, I have to wonder if it was actually worth it. Uh, but if it turned out not to be, if there were problems, there is a limited 90-day warranty. So there you go. And that is how you play Communist Mutants from Space. From Arcadia, nay, Starpath, 1982. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. So you could probably tell from the description if you haven't played the game before, this game is pretty similar to Galaxian, which is not a bad thing. I actually enjoy Galaxian quite a bit, as, as do a lot of people. There is an Easter egg, though I don't know that you could do this unless you had the original game. Again, holding the fire button, uh, holding the fire during power on of the 2600 causes the high, H-I, on the high score screen to change to S-H-L, which is the initials of programmer Stephen H. Landrum. 8-Bit Central, in talking about the supercharger, uh, says that he can't really speak about any of the other games they put up, but they think that Communist Mutants from Space is a great game. Too often, third-party accessories get written off as oddball notions that didn't touch on. The supercharger may be that, but 
this game is a really fun shooter with a lot of options that add interesting features to the game. It's a really cool shooter that should have reached more gamers in the early 80s, but was trapped on a cassette tape. We highly recommend you give it a whirl via Stella, and don't forget to get three friends to join you. It's excellent multiplayer. The Atari Poop column on One More Castle calls this game possibly one of the most insane video games ever made. The plot is an absurd amalgam of culturally insensitive garbage, stereotypes, and just plain absurd nonsense. In other words, regular Cold War stuff. This is, and I swear the truth, what the game's manual has to say about the plot. I already told you all that already. This is usually the part where I would tell you that the game was used as a propaganda tool to trick kids into hating communism or something to that effect. However, the game is, well, good, so it is just as likely that it could have had the opposite effect. I don't know that I would go quite that far. Yes, the, the manual makes some references to irradiated vodka and the hammer and sickle and stuff. So the manual is pretty propagandaist. But the game itself, there's nothing particularly, there's nothing at all communist or mutant, for that matter, in the game itself. So, if you just ignore the manual, which you really could, uh, other than in the features selection, you might not know what the initials for, you know, SH and SH could probably guess. But like the uh, penetrating fire and, and, and guided fire, you might not readily guess what those initials were without the manual. But other than that, you really don't need to know anything other than just shoot stuff. The Atari Wiki notes that there are differences as compared to Galaxian. Uh, the mother creature at the top of the screen that lays more eggs, if not destroyed quickly enough. There are several playing options from an on-screen menu. And then the fact that you can have up to four people play. Communist Mutants from Space, according to this article, generally has a good reputation, earning an 88% rating on the Atari Times and an A- on the Video Game Critic website. Originally, the game was developed by Arcadia, but they had to change their name to Starpath for legal reasons. The title screen and box cassette covers still read Arcadia as being the company name. Okay, so what's this, the deal with this Starpath Supercharger? Originally called, of course, Arcadia Supercharger. An expansion peripheral cartridge, according to Wikipedia, for playing cassette-based proprietary games on the 2600. There's a long cartridge with a handle on the end and an audio cassette cable. It adds 6 kilobytes to the 2600's 128 bytes of RAM, and then they do the math for us, that increases it 49-fold to 6,272 bytes of RAM, allowing for the creation of specially compatible games which are larger and have higher resolution graphics than normal cartridges. This was a little lost on me, because if you watch the Field Report Patreon, you'll notice that I'm, I'm playing a black and white game. So it doesn't look all that impressive to me. Um, the, the mutants clearly look good, even though they're in black and white, but I don't get a lot of color, I don't get any color. Uh, I'm not sure why. Something about the transfer in the file. I guess maybe I could have tried to download it again or something. But I got the gist of things anyway. So this uh, this cassette cable allows for the creation of specially compatible games, which are larger and have higher resolution graphics than normal cartridges. A cable coming out of the side of the cartridge plugs into the earphone jack of a standard cassette player for loading all supercharger games from standard audio cassettes. All supercharger games were developed by Starpath. In order of release, there was Phaser Patrol, Communist Mutants from Space, Fireball Suicide Mission, Escape from the Mind Master, uh, for which the prototype is called Labyrinth, Dragon Stomper, Prototype Excalibur, Killer Satellites, Rabbit Transit, Frogger the Official, and Party Mix. There were also some games available only by mail order after Starpath declared bankruptcy. Sword of Seros, Survival Island, and the prototypes sweat the decathlon game and going up question mark this thing uh, the supercharger thing is compatible to 2600 the 2600 junior and the series video arcade console 
does not normally fit into ColecoVision's Expansion Module 1. However, if the cover of the expansion module is removed or an extender is used, the supercharger will work. The extenders were sent to customers who called StarPath about these issues. Does not work on the 7800, but does work with some early model. Okay, so it doesn't work on many 7800s, but some of the early models it does. Danny Goodman of Creative Computing Video and Arcade Games said that the supercharger's, quote, graphics are something else, close quote, reporting that the diagonal lines in one game under development were among the smoothest he had seen in any console. The complete library of those games I just said were released on audio CD as Stella Gets a New Brain by Cyberpunks. There are two releases both sanctioned by Atari and Bridgestone. Bridgestone? Bridgestone Multimedia. That's not like the tire people, is it? Anyway, they had gotten the rights to the Starpath library uh, some time ago. So there you go. Never played any of those other games. I may seek some of them out because the titles certainly sound interesting. Talking about Russia, which I guess technically isn't communist anymore, but is certainly a tense friend right now with the U.S., makes me uh, think that I should mention for some of our younger listeners, the Cold War. This was a period of geopolitical tension between the United States and the Soviet Union, which is what Russia used to be part of back in the day, and it began, began after World War II. Historians do not fully agree on the starting and ending points, but roughly spanning 1947 to 1991, when the Soviet Union dissolved. The term Cold War is used because there was no large-scale fighting directly between the two superpowers, but the each supported major regional conflicts known as proxy wars. Also, disturbingly, more than once, we were pretty close to blasting each other with nuclear weapons. So it was a fun time. But it made for lots of literature and movies, so there's that, I guess. All right, well, speaking of geopolitical tensions, after the break, they came from space to communistically mutinize you. Be afraid. Or don't. You do you. For they certainly will. One brought us so much wars, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, an ongoing pandemic, political problems, and now 2022 is here and I am offering you more things. Yes, that's right, I am offering you more things. Not just communists, but communist mutants. And they're not just communist mutants, they are communist mutants from space. Because here on Atari Bites, we go the extra mile to entertain you. That's right. We're playing Communist Mutants from Space uh, on this episode. So let's do that. Gratuitous headshot of me, possibly. A little bit. All right. For some reason, uh, it's black and white. It's a 1982 game from Star Path. I don't think the original, obviously, is black and white. But uh, my, uh, my uh, emulation here is black and white. So... You have the grid where you can select things. There's one player, of course, because I'm a podcaster and I have no friends. Difficulty level. There are nine difficulty levels. I played difficulty uh, level one, which is really easy. I played level nine, which is really not. And I played level five, which is, as you would expect, about in the middle. So I will try that again. The guy on top. That is the mother alien. Those little squares below her are her eggs. Um, Why does she run all over her? She's protecting her eggs. But why are her eggs moving if they're eggs? You'll see in a minute. So we're going to go ahead and choose to have 
shields. We're going to have this thing that I have now forgotten what that is. We're going to have penetrating fire. We're going to have guided fire. And oh, TW, that was time warp. You can, if you press up on the joystick as you're playing, you can slow down the action for a few seconds to help you regroup a little bit. Uh, the shields you activate by pressing downward on the joystick. The penetrating fire is sort of, oh, and here we go. Wait. Okay. So, with that said, basically this is Galaxian. At this point in the show you've heard me talk about all this already. Uh, this is a variation a, 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 similar to the game Galaxian. Um, the eggs open, I guess, basically and turn into aliens that swoop down at you. You have to shoot them and score points. High score is one? No, it just didn't record the high score from last time. So, alright. With that introduction, let's uh, shoot some aliens. Shield. I'm flashing. That mean, I think that means I have a shield going. That was not a great start, but as always, trying to talk to you people as I play this game makes it harder. What sound was that? When you started in your life. I didn't really notice it, I guess. What about it? It sounded like one of the, I think it was like Beethoven or something. Could have been. I mean, like digital. Yeah. And I died again. So you can see it's a pretty basic looking game, yeah. but you can definitely... There. See how they're moving slower? That's the time warp thing. Did you hear that? Yeah. Like the Beethoven, whatever. Yeah, maybe. Man, and I still died. Uh, so the look of the game is fine. The ship, you know, your ship laser thing looks fine. The aliens look fine. It's all fine, basically. There's nothing really here that screams communism to me. But that's okay. I'm not really looking to get indoctrinated. So, that's all cool. Uh, mutants, I guess. Although, we don't know. As the aliens go, maybe they look exactly like regular aliens. They may not be mutant at all. What if... Aliens or air? What if aliens are what? Air. Air? Yeah. Like air we breathe? Yeah. What, what does that mean? I don't know. Alright, well, what if aliens are cheese, Henry? How about that? I'm not eating any cheese anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Plus, if aliens are air, that means we could be sucking in aliens every time we take a breath, dude. That's kind of creepy. Time warp. Those little flags obviously indicate how many waves you've completed. That's the guided missile thing. You can kind of, as you're moving joystick, it kind of 
dictates where, which, uh, how the missile moves. I don't really pay much attention to it, but you can. No, that's why I don't pay much attention to it. The penetrating fire thing, I guess I didn't really talk about that. You may have noticed periodically when I shoot something, the bullet keeps going and shoots the thing above it. That's the penetrating fire thing. On difficulty level 9, every once in a while these big discs drop down from the top of the screen and crush you. And by every once in a while I mean all the time. That's why I chose not to do level uh, 9, or, or difficulty level 9. chance to save humanity. Well, that didn't go so well. Sorry, humanity. Yes, I got the high score. Woo! Yay me! No, my score is over there. 14,630. And I'm the first high score. Yeah. What do you think of your old man now? Wait, did you get one? No, I didn't get one. I got 14,630. But the high score of the previous no, one. That just means I'm the first person on the list. No. You yes. Got one. No. Yeah. You should be proud of your old man. Be proud of me. Why? You've got one. Because I told you to. As a high score. Do I have to ground you or something? I don't know. Be proud of me. Do it. Say good job, Dad. Sure. Well, that was heartfelt. Alright, well that's uh, Communist Mutants from Space. Yeah, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller or swim downstream to my website, tarnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. Ha, ha, ha.
here's the thing about communist mutants from space. I enjoy this game. I was disappointed that my ROM did only had the black and white. I would have liked to see what the colors look like to kind of get the full effect, the full sense of what you were actually getting from your supercharger that I imagine was not cheap at the time uh, to get. And there's a little bit of work involved. you got to find a cassette player and blah, blah, blah. So I missed out a little bit on that. But I enjoyed the game well enough. I played it a few times before I recorded. I would play it some more. I like Galaxian too, and this game clearly is a lot like Galaxian. Um, what's the other one? Galaga, or Galaga, or whatever. Which is similar, although not quite the same thing. Uh, I like all of those, so I was, I'm happy to include this. I don't quite get the communist part, like I said. Even the manual is not particularly propagandist. Okay, they do talk about irradiated vodka, that's true. So maybe there's a bit of stereotyping going on there. But it's certainly nothing different than you would have seen. Nothing you would have, would not have seen in any uh, TV show or movie from the West in the 80s, which was sort of the height of the Cold War, even as uh, unbeknownst to everyone, the Cold War was winding down. So, yeah, the game's fun. You really don't even have to pay attention to the title of the game to enjoy the game. So, there you go. If you guys have thoughts about Communist Mutants from Space, uh, the game, I mean, I guess tell me your thoughts about communists coming from another planet to visit Earth, too, if you like. Or, hey, if you just want to you know, write or, or call, leave a voicemail about your thoughts about uh, life on other planets, sure, I'll take that, too. Side note, Henry has gotten into the X-Files all of a sudden. I think it started because on Christmas, right before Christmas, I had an urge to watch that season six episode uh, where Mulder and Scully visit a haunted house on Christmas Eve. Um, and he happened to be sitting there watching with it. And that piqued his interest. So he's been watching. We're partway through season one uh, as I'm recording this. So, you know, speaking of aliens and all that, it makes me happy that there is some nerdy thing from not my childhood, but my past that uh, he actually thinks is interesting. So that's cool. If you have thoughts about the X-Files, let me know that too. Because as always... The truth is out there. And you know what else is out there? This. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This episode's story is titled a mutant by any other name. U.S. Senator Allison Jericho looked across the table at her visitor. Her gaze was, she hoped, more skepticism than fear or confusion, that she projected an air of control, even in these extraordinary circumstances. But the fact that she was in her absolute power might corrupt, but that doesn't mean I'm not absolutely right, pajamas, made this difficult. So, the senator said, leaning forward, a lock of gray-flecked hair flopped forward over one eye. She wished she'd had a chance to run a brush through it after her visitor woke her up in the middle of the night. If her unexpected visitor attracted enough attention, there would surely be cameras coming. Cell phone cameras and nothing else. And where was building security anyway? Frozen, said Mel, the name he'd asked Jericho to refer to him by. Temporary and painless. That part might have been a lie. Mel wasn't sure. This new ray gun hadn't really been field tested until today. Mel also wished the senator would brush her hair. The loose strands of hair he could gather in the process 
would be useful in his planet's cloning operation. Oh well. There was always conquest. Taken by force was totally within the realm of communism, surely. You're from outer space, the senator asked, carefully processing this bizarre chain of events. The peaceful slumber, the temporary paralysis, the bright light, the arrival of a multidimensional being, all of it. Plus, the champagne and port fritters from dinner were causing some nasty indigestion. Her visitor nodded slowly. A faint pneumatic hum issued from the helmet that contained the apparatus the visitor used to breathe in Earth's atmosphere. The helmet had a visor, but the dim lighting made it near impossible to see the being within. The visitor nodded again. And you're a communist, the senator said. Indeed, the visitor said with a synthesized voice. Well, we've sort of moved on from our hatred of communism, Senator Jericho said. I mean, it's a perennial, of course, but it's not really fashionable. Could she bring it back, she wondered? A good round of Senate hearings with lots of sweating and yelling would be glorious. Her heart was pounding at the thought. She, had, she hadn't had a good devil pounding in years. But to Mel, the senator said, Our hatreds are a bit more varied now. Times change, the visitor agreed. And you're also a mutant? The senator lingered on this one. It had more legs, literally. People who look or act different were always good for votes. The visitor shrugged. I suppose you'd say so. Yes, well, that could be a bit more of an issue to run on. I, I mean, for the nation to deal with, Senator Jericho said. Why? Mel asked. Senator Jericho sighed. If you were an ordinary communist, I could come out against you easily enough, I guess, though it wouldn't attract as much buzz as maybe it once did, she said. If you were a New Age communist, I could rail against you for usurping tradition. But, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone really even knows what a communist is anymore. It'd be a lot easier if you were a liberal, or from another country. Another planet is just really abstract. The tinfoil hat crowd is still there, but they don't get to the polls much. My constituents don't really care for the abstract. We offer many new technologies, Mel pointed out. Jericho cocked her head, considering... See, that is a thing to think about, sure. If I could be the senator that cured cancer or fixed the hole in the ozone layer, uh, that's the deal, right? A, a big hole in the ozone that's bad? Anyway, but the thing is, never mind the communism stuff. You're also a mutant, too, and, well, no offense, but being different just because you are different is really frustrating for my constituents. Sorry, Mel said. It's inconvenient, Jericho said. Your being here is inconvenient. Mel gestured to the metallic box at his side. Within are the secrets to many of the human's greatest questions, he said. My kind offers answers to the origins of the humans, to the cure for your most dreaded diseases. We can offer you technology for interstellar travel. Cool, cool, Sandra Jericho said, though she wasn't really listening. She scanned her social media account. Look, uh, Mel, can you come back tomorrow? I want to pull my Twitter feed. Mel nodded that slow pneumatic nod. Tomorrow, then, he said, and activated his personal teleport. Back aboard the mothership, Mel reported to his superiors. And she never asked where we are from, Commandant Morp asked. No, Commandant. How did the human react when you told her our plan for planet Earth? She never asked. Mel asked. 
Mel said. Lieutenant Malak leaned forward. What exactly is a communist? Mel shrugged. I don't know, but saying the word seemed to excite her. The alien party was silent for a moment. Also, what is a mutant? Apparently on Earth, it's a thing that generates votes, Mel said. Whatever those are. The party was silent again. Finally, the commandant said, So, we'll, pr we'll be proceeding with the invasion and total annihilation of the planet, then. Mel shrugged. And that's how the human race ceased to exist. But it did trend on Twitter. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Leave a review at that communist Apple podcast site for this show. Just kidding. Apple isn't full of communists, just mutants. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And, of course, check us out on Instagram. And you know what else you can do, because I told you earlier in the show, you can leave us a voicemail. 563-265-1978. My buddy Dave did it. You can do it, too. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Check out the website, carnivalofgleecreations.com. You're going to find information and links and stuff for this podcast, Atari Bytes. And my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You're going to find information about books that I've written, all of it, all that stuff right there. And, oh, by the way, the new year has come, but if you're still interested in looking back on the previous year, you can go to my blog which I dust off once a year, pretty much. I will put a link in the show notes to a blog post I've written titled Good Night 2021. It is a short review of events, global events, in 2021, presented to you in the style of Good Night Moon, the children's book by Margaret Wise Brown. There are unfortunately no illustrations, but the, uh, the, the structure is there. So if that interests you, please go check it out. Um, another thing you can check out is the Patreon project. Atari Bytes is over there on Patreon.com, link in the show notes, and you can help keep the lights on here in the podcast studio, and possibly, depending on what level you, you subscribe at, get bonus stuff. So please go consider checking that out. Seize this opportunity to kind of, sort of, hang out with these people, my current patrons, who I very much appreciate. Michael Tyler, Jose Caseda, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Thanks to one and all. All right, we're about out of here. 2022 is in full swing. I am excited. I am ready to, to go on a quest to make 2022 the best podcast ever year, the best podcast year ever, and maybe make me talk better or gooder in 2022 and i'm gonna do that next episode by playing a game called quest for quintana rue yep i'm doing it and you can join me make it your quest to join me next time and bring 400 of your friends let's do this so until next time go play some old games they've missed you